Okay, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and get started because um, the, the, the complaint department has heard over and over again, Sean keeps running out of time. And so uh, I'm going to start now and see how much we can get covered in the uh, 45 minutes that we've got. Uh, this is the Christian and Technology. We've got uh, the next to the last session this morning. This one is on social media and uh, Christian engagement with social media. Um, up to this point, we've been talking about where, what is God's relationship to technology? What does the Bible have to say about it? Uh, some building blocks, some foundational things. The last session is not next week. That'll be the training for nursery. Uh, it's not just for nursery workers. It's for the entire church. We, we have to have everybody sort of up to speed on the nursery um, work that we do. And then when we get back um, on the 16th, um, we'll have the last session on the TechWise family. And basically... Uh, it's a session on practical ideas, yours and some other folks who are thinking about technology and protection in their home and how do you, how do you use it and balance it and protect uh, your, yourself and your kids. So that's our last session is coming up on October 16th. So today is the Christian and uh, social media and, and obviously the one that we'll be focusing on, no question, will be Twitter because it's the, uh, it's the one that this article focuses on. So this is an article that was a review of a book by, um, i trying to remember the guy's name, uh, by Chris, where is he, Chris Bale. Um, it's not a religious book, it is a, it's a sociological look at Twitter and things that can be done to change engagement on Twitter, but amazingly, his suggestions at the end align with things that we would say as Christians that we would say as people who want to engage with our neighbors in a way that would show love for neighbor and uh, love for God, uh, there are some suggestions at the end that we're going to look at and adopt as uh, what does the Bible say about these things. Before we jump into it, um, I wanted to start with just a reminder of some of the things we've said about uh, God, technology, and the Christian life, and uh, 12 myths. These are 12 myths. We've already covered these 12 myths in some way, shape, or form, but I'd like to hit them again very quickly before we jump into the Christian and social media. Uh, so myth number one, I'm going to call on some help. Uh, Chaz, if you'll read myth number one. In other words, that myth is um, that all technology is a surprise. Absolutely not. It is absolutely under God's foreordained will. It is a myth to think that all of our work of innovation is an imposition on the created order. It's actually an outflow of what God had already ordained. Myth number two, Miss Bobby. Yeah, we set that as a myth as well, is that basically the limits set on technology and creation are set by God, not by us. God is the one who establishes the limits of how far we're going to go in technological expanse. They're his limits, not ours. Myth number three. Andrew, can you read myth number three for me? Yeah, that's a, that's a myth. Uh, you don't have autonomy. That's a, that's a lie. It's a misrepresentation. If your own heart tells you that, you ought to check it because it's not correct. Uh, it's, not, it's a myth that you need to address in your life. Myth number four, David Wright. Exactly the opposite of that. God has actually ordained and provided for uh, innovation that benefits humanity. Uh, he's actually using this innovation as a way to um, reduce the impact of the curse. We talked about that in week two. Uh, myth number five, Kelly. 
That's also a myth. That God, through common grace, gives all people the ability to think and create. We are, as image bearers of God, we have the ability to create and to think and to innovate. And in fact, a lot of the innovation doesn't come from people who are Christian, although uh, many, many uh, innovations have. But it doesn't all come from us. Uh, Myth number six, which is related. Let's see. Chris. Yeah, that's not accurate. In fact, uh, you can think of some of the most beneficial innovations that did not come uh, from Christians. In fact, it's probably going to be just the opposite of that in some ways. Uh, we're going to be limiters in some ways of innovation, but um, it just means that God can use anybody he wants for anything he wants, anytime he wants to do it. Uh, myth number seven. Uh, Donnie, can you read that? It was, a, hey, it was just, a, just a gentle question which makes absolutely no sense, that even though we have unleashed things like the nuclear bomb and other things, uh, that is not outside of God's control. It is completely under his purview, right? Uh, God is the one who, who created plutonium. God's the one who created uranium. And it wasn't just a mistake that he didn't hide it well enough, that there was an, there was an, um, uh, an uh, inevitable uh, exploration and uh, development of those things. Uh, the next myth, Miss Hillary. That's not necessarily true either. Um, I have friends who are Christians who say the only thing that really is good are things that are, are practical and useful. That rules out anything in art or music or um, anything that's given as a creative outlet. Uh, those, that's a myth. Uh, next up, Wes, can you see that? It's a corollary to the one right before it, that God is over all technology, not just the ones that you would consider to be virtuous. Tracy, can you take the next one? Yeah, uh, he was surprised by the iPhone, and so now we're just kind of catching up. Incorrect. Uh, God was completely aware. Chris Wright, can you take the next one? This is the kind of the joke I've been using of God didn't hide the plutonium well enough. Uh, God actually oversaw it. And if you think about it long enough, God is the one who creates the blacksmith. He creates the farmer. He creates the ravager. He creates the destroyer. And God uses all things ultimately for his glory. Last one, Scott. Yeah, the technium is just a, a, a cool way to say the culture of technology and the, uh, how it's kind of driving a lot of discussion. Uh, whether or not you accept it or reject it has nothing to do with whether technology is going to take place or whether or not it's going to flourish. None of that's related. God is going to continue his work of redeeming a people for himself because all things work together for the good of God's people, ultimately that he might be glorified. That's the reason all technology will exist. It is the ultimate reason for which all other in, uh, innovations, inventions take place, that God will ultimately be glorified. How do I know that? Because our first catechism question is, it tells us that, and all of our understanding of who God is from Scripture uh, points to ultimately His glory is what He is uh, working towards. Okay, so today's uh, topic is a Christian approach to social media, and it's particularly focused on Twitter. Uh, not that that's the only one. But Twitter was the subject of the book uh, that Chris Bale wrote, uh, Breaking the Social Media Prism, How to Make Our Platforms Less Polarizing, that we're going to take a look at in a more nuanced sense from a Christian approach and understand a little better of um, how this platform particularly is set up and some things that will surprise you perhaps on how it works and other suggestions that this secular author makes that Christians would say that is a Christian principle. That is what Jesus called us to do. That is how we should interact as neighbors. That's what you'll end up with. I'm kind of giving away the end. That's where we're going to end up. Is when we use social media, we should ultimately be thinking what honors God and how do we serve our neighbors.
That is the Christian call to, to arms, call to work. Um, so we're going to start with a couple of opening statements, and I need the youth and some of the adults. So I'm going to call on some of the youth, and I'm going to call on some of the adults. And you're already thinking, please don't call on me. But it's probably going to happen anyway, so just kind of prepare yourself. Um, so uh, I want to take a look at each of these statements. These are just statements. These aren't stated as myth or just suppositions or just items to think about. So Reagan. Reagan, would you read just the first uh, item at the top? Thank you, Reagan. Is that, what do you think of that statement? Is that what social media is for? Is that your experience with social media? Perhaps it was the original idea is we're going to have a platform where people can get on, on board and they can start talking about it and people will have great discussions and that is how social media is, is working. Is it? Has that, been your, has that been anybody's experience that when I get on there, it is a great platform for exchange of ideas? It's not. And that may have been, as Cody says, the original intent. That is not how it's being used. Your experience with it is actually affecting how you're engaging with it. I'll, I'll explain in just a second. Uh, item number two, Mr. Manley. That is what the culture is telling us currently, uh, combined with the use of social media. What do you think of that statement? Anybody? It is false. It is completely false. Why, Rachel? Yeah, so ultimately Christians would, would say and believe, because the Bible teaches it, that your identity is not driven by self-introspection, that you look inside yourself and your heart. This is, what your, this is what your culture is telling you. That you look inside your heart and you kind of figure out who you are and then you kind of tell that to the rest of the world, right? That's what the culture is saying you have to do to identify yourself. But that is not how the Bible talks about identity. It's not even how we have understood identity for a couple thousand years. But all of a sudden... What you're supposed to do is look inside yourself. You decide. You have such autonomy and all-encompassing wisdom that you can look inside yourself and say, this is who I am, ultimately. And I'm going to start communicating that to people. One of the biggest issues or problems with that is you change your mind about that stuff every day. Every day. I could pick on you all the time about it. You could pick on me all the time about it. But you change your mind. You are tossed to and fro by every wind of, that comes along, every new thing that comes along. And so that statement can't possibly be true because you don't even agree with it ultimately because you've changed your mind so many times on who you are and what you do. Uh, statement number three, I need a youth person. I need Sarah Louise. All right, this is the corollary of that, another option. What do we think of that? So we're not to look inside ourselves. This option is, well, then we should, look, we should look outside of ourselves to places like social media presentations and things like that to help us think through who we are and, and kind of what we believe. What do you think about this? It's false as well. Right, because uh, what's the problem with using the outside source of even social media presentation of ideas and beliefs? Because there's 100 million, and they all oppose each other in some ways, Right? There's, there's, there's opposing ideas. And it's ultimately not the answer that God has given us, which is your only way to figure out who you are is to find out who you are in Jesus, why you were made, why you were made. That's really the question of identity. 
people don't, um, let's see, got to be careful. When people go into the social media realm, um, your culture is telling you look inside yourself and then present it, which people are tending to butcher and bludgeon on a regular basis. The other option, perhaps, is maybe I'll just go into social media and, and get ideas and think about it, and I'll, I'm, I'm, that group seems to be more aligned with what I think. I'll be over there, and this group over here disagrees with what I think. I'll, I'll, I'll need to avoid them, right? Those options are not going to be helpful to you, ultimately. Ultimately. I will say this. You do need somebody outside of yourself. Because if you're just using what's inside of you, you're going to be confused and dismayed most of your life. Most, I'm, not, I'm not making this up. You already know this. Most of the sociologists will tell you this. You're going to be confused and dismayed. Most, and this is not Christian sociologists. These are just normal people who understand. You're, you, you, you change your mind. You grow. Uh, hopefully you mature. I'm speaking to the adults as much as I am to the, to the youth. Hopefully you mature and grow over time understand more and not less hopefully the confusion clears up and doesn't get more murky right uh last one last item bob would you read that one apostrophe that's just a little joke right it's just a little joke what he actually proved was there's a lot of things about twitter that we did not know well maybe we had a guess now we know right uh, this book by Chris Bale is actually focused on Twitter and got a lot of data and, and cranked it back out with some uh, remarkably important uh, understanding of how that social media platform works. More importantly, my, my goal by the end of the session is you understand how you work better, a little bit, by God's grace, by the Spirit's work. You understand how you work a little better, and maybe this will help you kind of wrestle through those things as well. Okay. So um, we're, we're agreeing that um, social media is not a place where there's an open discussion of ideas. I have never seen that, never. Um, you can, as most recently as this past week, someone could inanely just, just post something very, very simple, uh, very, uh, very neutral, or just um, a mention of the queen's death. And the hundreds of responses that begin to bludgeon anything about the statement of, uh, sorry to, to have the queen pass away this week and how awful she was, how much damage she did. I mean, it's, just, it's, a, it's a cesspool of responses, right? And you can go and you can just swipe up you know, for, for hours and figure out just, and, and really got, had no idea there was such animosity uh, that existed about one particular person, but really just kind of flowing out there. People who aren't even connected in any way, shape, or form. It's not a place for the open discussion of ideas. Instead, ideas are used to identify yourself and your group. It's a pretty important statement. Ideas are used to identify yourself and the group that you identify with, um, which, which leads to what this author says are bad faith readings. In other words, if somebody outside of your group posts something, your typical reading of that is going to be in the worst possible outcome. You read it with the worst possible interpretation because they're in that group. It's, it's sort of a natural thing for broken human beings to do this. We, we, we break up, us and them, tribes create tribes, and all of a sudden I've got to go to war. All of a sudden I have, to, I have to point out all the bad stuff and make sure that my tribe is okay and your tribe is, your other tribe is in trouble. Right? Bad faith readings are part and parcel of this particular social media platform. 
that depending on who, how you identify yourself, so you, you think that the algorithm is actually feeding your feed with stuff that um, you, you have clicked or liked, and so it gives you more of that. And now you're inside of this never-ending echo chamber. I'm just hearing more and more and more of what I like. And that's certainly true in some ways because you are the one who's following so-and-so. Uh, I, I particularly like to follow people who have t totally different views than me. And usually I like to find the ones that are smart, that are totally different from me in view. Because I just want to hear. I just want to hear the arguments. I want to hear what they're saying. I want to think. I want to sharpen my own thinking. I want to know how to present to that particular group so I can say, I can tell you why I believe this, and I know why you believe it. I know why you believe these things. With the intent of maybe we'll have a discussion in some other format besides social media. Right? But typically we're identifying ourselves um, and our groups through these. And it's not just the echo chamber. Um, even if you have more and more access to more and more ideas, what we tend to do is begin to identify ourselves with this group and everybody else or the other side with that group, the out group and begin to tribalize and separate. Um, social media discussions are typically now identity formation. I'm forming who I am based on how I'm liking things and how, who's liking my stuff. Starting to form my identity based on that. Uh, status seeking. I uh, want people to uh, reshare my stuff. My stuff is really good. I want my status to go up in that circle. And then finally, in social bonding, that there's uh, some kind of connection that's being built or a tribe that's being formed. Um, that's how it's happening now in a virtual space. How did that happen in the olden days? In the olden days back in the 70s. How did that happen back then? How did we get our identity, generally speaking? General, oh, come on. You, you were born into a family, first of all. Um, every single person in here was born into a family. Every single person in here was given a name. And I bet your name is somehow connected to your family, like your last one. And your first one probably based on a family member, some way, shape, or form. Or your parents said, this is really important to us, and so we're placing this moniker upon you, right? And your identity, at least by name, has been formed. Which is why I think it's so interesting that those who are going through the general confusion of all the identity crisis, one of the first things they'll do is change their name change my name because no one gets to identify me but me right it's it's the it's sort of the utter rebellion it's the utter rebellion of i, I don't like anything about where i came from i don't like anything about what i'm identified as i'm going to change all that it's silly because ultimately those things are even in question your ability to identify yourself is a fool's errand it is in the end uh, the folks that are going through that process, man, the, the suicide rates, I mean, all kinds of things are just, it's, it's kind of coming apart. So you used to have these things by, um, by family interaction and by community interaction, neighbors that you actually knew and schools that you actually went to and um, people that you actually had relationships with. And sometimes you would get called out for things you did wrong, parents, friends. And you would say, you know, those things are obviously not good, and so I need to start changing what I'm going to do or tweaking what I'm doing. And your identity was formed by those interactions. Now put all of that in, in the virtual space, in the social realm, social media realm. And this is the new way that identities are being formed. And it's, man, it's, it's really 
uh, a little frightening. <laughs> it's a little frightening that you're not forming your identities in ways that we have traditionally. And maybe that's the point. I'm not going to be identified traditionally. I'm going to be so different than all of your traditional thinking. And the only question I have to ask you is, tell me what about the traditional thinking that you think you have in your years and all of your knowledge and wisdom you've acquired uh, argued against. Now, if you bring out stuff like, well, they used to do these things years ago, I'm going to say, well, yeah, I disagree with that too. But if you're saying by uh, virtue of your personal um, art-driven knowledge, I, I know better than all the folks in the past, that, that even sounds wrong to you. That even sounds wrong to you, not just to me, but to you. Uh, let's keep going. So social media tends to drive extremism. Let's be careful with extremism because the word extremism uh, makes you feel extreme. It has extreme emotions that it generates for you. And so we won't use the term in the, in the classical sense, but extremism, views that are on the 5 to 10% most extreme. This is Twitter that we're using as the backdrop. And this is what we discovered in the last year or so with the uh, intended purchase. That the, uh, the extreme views, is any way you want to classify them, but you'll classify those extreme ones as 5 to 10%. Uh, on, the, on the extreme. So everything in the middle, uh, 80%, um, the, the standard deviation number, that's sort of considered non-extreme, and the 5 to 10%. 6% of all Twitter users generate 20% of all tweets. We found that out. 6% of all tw Twitter users have one-fifth of all the tweets that get generated. 70% uh, of all the tweets mentioning na national politics are from that 6%. 70% of all the tweets about national politics are coming from that 6%. Interesting. Uh, spoiled identity. The, these are the ones that are, that are basically promoting the extreme views. And what it, all spoiled identity means is their identity of themselves has some, um, uh, some pretty interesting uh, indicators. Um, in the study that this uh, Chris Bale did, a lot of the folks that were in those, um, on this platform using those views uh, were not terribly secure in their own identity, right? They weren't terribly secure in their own. Uh, they often lacked status in their offline lives. They, they were folks that were struggling with all kinds of things offline. And those things were kind of coming out in their online persona. Uh, online personas are far more aggressive than offline. There are things that you see people say online that you would never hear them say in person. I mean, we'll see each other interact, and you just go, oh, hover never say that. I don't think. It doesn't sound like them. Right? Um, extremists don't like to be identified that way. Nobody does. Nobody does. Uh, it leads to more exaggeration of numbers, the us and them. Um, everybody thinks this. Everybody thinks what I think. Uh, the, all that extremism, exaggeration, uh, which doesn't make any sense. You know it's not true, but it's still put out there as a uh, tribal break. Uh, it eliminates the spectrum of views. There are only members of your group, the out group, the other, and then you have the cowards, the ones in the middle that won't speak. Those are the only groups you have. Right? Social media mutes moderation or moderates in general. So um, the actual majority views, that 80% in the middle, I'm not saying they're the majority views of everybody, single person ever lived, ever, but in the majority of views... Um, social media tends to mute them, and here's how that works. They have stronger offline identities, uh, jobs, that they want to keep. Uh, work, 
worked for a company for 17 years, and if you posted something in this category on your social media presence, you were fired. I, I can just tell you. And some people don't care, right? So they'll, just, they'll post it, no big deal. By the way, this, uh, before you get too far down the road, mostly there are racist things. If you had something explicitly racist that you posted on behalf of, uh, as a representative of the company, you're out. <laughs> you're gone, right? Um, those are the kind of things that, um, you, you know, for folks that are on the fringe, don't care about. But people that do have jobs and families that they are connected to and reputations that they do want to um, maintain for any number of reasons, not the least of which is, I'd like to be a good neighbor. Uh, my, my name means something. It has to mean something. Your name has to mean something. Right? The third commandment is... Don't take my name in vain, which is basically for any Christian, you take upon yourself the name of Jesus. That has to matter. It has to matter at some point that I represent him. Uh, this would be the folks that would, would um, according to Baal, be categorized as the coward, the moderate class, because you're afraid to go online and say anything because you know it'll cost you your job at whatever. Or you know it'll cost you this relationship. Or you know it'll do that. It, it, mutes, it mutes your interaction. Uh, moderates are views as lazy or cowards, or you take up any other name you like. The, they just don't want um, to risk anything. Um, they're afraid of uh, being identified one way or the other. Uh, Twitter has this ability to do that. So all we've done so far is basically take this sociologist approach and look at how uh, the, the two extremes, which, by the way, the sale of Twitter has sort of solidified or given light to, and what's happening in the middle, which is not a lot of interaction from people who have the majority of views. Not a lot. Because we're going about living our lives and doing things that we are called to do. So what this person suggests and what the author of our article uh, from a Christian standpoint says is maybe there's a new platform out there or a new way to engage with these platforms that would better align with who we are as Christians. The actual sociologist uses this same language, but it turns out it's things that Jesus calls us to do anyway. That's very fascinating. I'm going to go through those, and then we'll be done, open for questions or anything else you'd like to do. Uh, the first one is uh, the suggestion from the sociologist and a very Christian uh, principle of how to live is listen long and hard to people. Listen to people. The, one of the greatest ministries you can have as a, as a believer is to listen to people. Uh, James chapter 1, 19, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Uh, don't engage someone right away. Follow them and listen for a while. Try your best to put the best construction on their views so you can find some things of value in what they say. Now, the way the larger catechism talks about the ninth commandment and not bearing false witness against somebody is that you are to, in any way that you can, promote their good name. So when I'm following someone or trying to engage with someone, at least that, uh, in, in a presence like this, it's listen for a while. Just kind of listen to what they're saying. Um, and, and do my best to kind of put it in the best light possible. You know, avoid the bad faith reading. Try to, try to think about it in the best light possible. Is it possible they mean this? Possible they mean that? And listen for a while. Uh, some folks, if you listen for a while, you go, okay, now I'm starting to understand what you're saying. Other folks, you're like, okay, you're really out there. You're really losing it. You really need help. But you can't do that in the first tweet or the second or the third or any other social media platform or blog or whatever it's going to be. You're going to have to listen for a little while. Um, I would say that's a good thing for a church member who's taking a vow here that wants to protect the purity and peace of the church, that we would be patient with each other as we engage, right? 
That's not, that's not an anti-Christian thing. That sounds like a very Christian thing to do. That we would give each other some room and we would be patient with each other because um, under Jesus, I'm to be long-suffering with you as you are with me. I'm going to sin against you, you're going to sin against me, and our call is to be patient with each other. Hear each other out. Right? Uh, the second suggestion that's made in this, uh, in this book is use their own vocabulary and authorities. This is an excellent point. Uh, the Apostle Paul uses this very thing. In Paul's speech to Stoic and Epicurean philosophers in Acts 17, he quotes their thinkers, Epimenides and Aratus, in John 1.1, the gospel writer also uses the Greek philosophical term, the logos, which was, uh, existed as a philosophical school or thinking before Paul, uh, poor John writes John 1.1, and uses that terminology to say, in the beginning was the Word. Everything you understand about the essence of life, Jesus. Right? And Paul does the same thing on Mars Hill when he talks about, um, he looks around and he sees all these different statues and idols, and he has one to the unknown God, and he actually quotes their poets, he quotes their, uh, their thinkers, and he says, I want to talk to you about the God that you don't know. So basically, are you able to listen in such a way and understand in such a way that you might be able to find uh, their own vocabulary and their own sources of uh, information and authorities and say, I understand you. This is a great Christian motivation. That my, One of my goals is to better understand you and for you to better understand me. So we can serve one another. We can pray for each other. We can encourage one another to love and good deeds. Uh, I have my own idiosyncratic behavior. It's been on display for years here now. Um, I, I need to grow to know your idiosyncrasy so we can actually know each other. We may not agree on every single thing, and that's okay. There are things that we do agree on, especially those who have taken vows. Here's what we agree on. Uh, we're sinners. That God is different from us. That Jesus was sent by God to address the sin that we, we are the guilty party of, that the Holy Spirit sanctifies us and makes us more and more like Jesus, that we'll support the work and worship of the church, and that we'll submit to the government of the church. Those are the things I know we agree on because you took vows that way. Do you step out of line sometimes? Yes, as do I. So we have to engage with each other, know each other a little bit, understand how to call each other back to faithfulness, right? Uh, that's all this author is stating is maybe you should understand them in such a way that you know what their sources of authorities are, uh, that you understand more, more of their culture, if you will. Agree. Agree to something inside their worldview as you critique them. Again, in Acts 17 for Paul and 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, use arguments that build and resonate with the worldviews of the people you're trying to persuade. Rather than saying, I am all right and you are all wrong, say, you believe this, great. But then why don't you also believe this, which follows from that? Um, notice how Paul does this in Acts 17 when he argues in verse 29 to paraphrase, if as your own philosophers say God created us, how could he be worshipped by idols we create? He's basically saying if you, um, if you really do believe in, this, in, in the idols and the gods that you have, then this would follow. And he challenges them on Mars Hill to um, put their own thinking to the test. This is a, uh, a, a technique. It is. Um, 
it's, it's not, there's, there's nothing wrong or cowardice about somebody explaining what they believe different from you for you to say, let me say it back to you. And I say it back and they say, yes, that's what I believe. Great. Now let me tell you why I think this view is a, a, a view that you ought to adopt, that you ought to change. Here's why Jesus says these things. A whole lot easier to build relationships when you can say, I do understand, and I can actually say it back to you, and I actually understand the logic. It's just flawed, ultimately. Ultimately, it's just flawed. Because ultimately, there is a God who is in control of all things. Uh, be willing to be self-critical. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, when John the Baptist says, repent. Uh, don't defend everything you or your tribe or party has said or done. Don't take a stand to die on every hill. There are some things that matter little and some things that matter immensely. And if everything that we say um, is going to be defended to the end with we're done, no relationship, we're not going to have many relationships, even within our own tribe. If we don't agree on every single thing, which we don't. But we don't. We have disagreements all the time. They're small in nature relative to who Jesus is and what he did for us and what the scriptures teach. They're small in nature. And so we can get past that. I can get past it. You can get past it. We can. We can move on. The same is true with those outside of the church. Uh, there are ways for us to engage, to get to know people, understand where they're coming from. Um, just a personal aside, we have a, a friend who's in the middle of this whole identity crisis, and she has changed her name and how she wants to be engaged and pronouns and all those things. And we have been going through these steps of, um, I, I can tell you why you think this, let's here it is, and she'll say, yes, that is. Well, this is why we believe this. This is why Christianity has this as an answer. This is why Christianity addresses those things. Nothing that you are confused about, identity, generation, culture, is new. Nothing. None of that's new. Your tools are new, right? Your broadcasting is new. But none of those things are really new. People have been wrestling with who they are for a very long time. Thank you, sir. All right, last but not least, um, before we get to your questions and wrap up, um, loosen the links between your ideas and your identity. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, don't make your ideas into an identity such that any disagreement feels like an attack on your very being. Here, I'm afraid, we can see Christians being conformed to the pattern of this world by letting the social media prism forge your identity. Christian identity is not a performance. It is a free gift of God's unchanging love and regard on the basis of Christ's perfect performance. So here, what did you hear? Uh, here's what I think you heard, and I'm hoping you'll say it back to me or say, I didn't hear that. I heard something else. Um, here's what I hope you heard. I hope you heard um, there are lots of different platforms out there. Twitter was the focus of this one. Engagement on that platform has not helped with um, exchange of ideas. In fact, it's probably polarized it more, which is why this book was written. And in that polarization, uh, we sort of transfer some of that thinking into who we are and, and create identity based on those things. This is a challenge to that to say, not so fast. Back up. Be reminded of who we are in Jesus, what he, what he calls us to do. And maybe there are some steps in engaging in social media, engaging with other people just in general that might be helpful 
on the, the people that were considered to be the out group, the ones that um, are on the other side, right? And there are definitely, don't hear me wrong, there are definitely um, issues that are um, non-negotiables for us as Christians and issues that are non-negotiables for those who uh, are not Christian and we'll never find agreement on those. Never. But if we want to be a, a, a winsome community, a community that engages with our neighbors in such a way that they listen, that we listen to them, some of these steps would be helpful. I'm going to pause there, just get your thoughts, because um, I'm, so, uh, I'm not so devoted to these steps that to say um, there aren't um, opportunities for improvement. Pause there. Floor is yours. Thoughts? Comments? Not Twitter. <laughs> you had to hack the account. What you'd like to know is what platforms are they using? Now, it's very interesting. She's, she's looking at one row. But there are multiple rows with... Oh, did you catch that? So you guys out there at some point. And into Snapchat. <laughs> It does depend, doesn't it? Uh, just, just a correction on the technology thing. Nothing ever disappears. Nothing ever really disappears. Nothing ever really disappears. Oh, it can be found. It can be found. Oh, here we go. Gentlemen? So here, here, the, the, the subject for next one is, what are some family practices that affect you know, these uh, technological tools? Um, you guys are Instagram. John Arbery's like, uh, not yet. Nothing for me yet. Uh, and this will be a great discussion next time on what, what are the steps families have taken to kind of in, uh, help protect each other uh, from some of the pitfalls of the technology. Any other questions, comments? Do you, do you think this makes sense? Do you think this is... Miss Sassy? I think that's a great question. Why do we do social media? Anybody? I mean, and this is a safe place. Why do, why do it? Why, why are we doing it? Sassy's question is, if, if, if this is the engagement, why are we doing it? Because well, there's, a, there's a bit of a fear of missing out on that. We talked about that earlier. What else? I like the, the, the original intent of, like, I have family members that are scattered abroad. Love to see a little bit of what's going on in their lives. Uh, Rachel and I have talked about that, family members that we don't see very often, but we get to see, if you will. Right? Any other reasons why you do it? You'll not find Mr. Chaz on social media. You'll not find Mr. Chaz on social media. Yeah, so, and much like, much like Nick, I, I'm a headline guy, right? What are the, what are the headlines, what's happening, uh, what's being tweeted out as headlines right now? Kind of just um, the, big, the big print uh, headline. And maybe there's something to follow up on. The other one I have is the, there are some pretty scholarly folks that I like to follow. Uh, there was a writer in Mississippi who was talking about the abortion debate, and he is on the other side of that debate. I'm on this side. He's on that side. And in that debate, he offered a, a stat on um, mortality rates in Mississippi. It sounded completely wrong to me. And so I just reached out and said, can, I, can you give me the background source so I can go look at it for mortality rates in Mississippi? Because the ones I was finding had nothing, to, nowhere close and he was like, this is the reason we ought to have more uh, open abortion laws because, uh, because it's, um, it's killing um, young black women. 
uh, having birth. It's killing young black women. And I, and I just said, can I, can I get the source data, right? Can I just, just the source data. It's all, not making any statement, just source data. Love to see it. Not mine, but the author's yes. Oh, I, um, I, have, to, I have to go ask the author. No. Not, not, not in the review that, that's part of this study. Okay, so Seattle would be Seattle would be conservative compared to the majority. Well, Nick would be a good source for me. There's there you go. That's a good source. I haven't seen that one. Yeah. Everybody back there saying, "What is a newspaper?" And I I would change the format to have the youth in a different discussion to ask that very question of, is this identity formation or would you say, no, 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 I, I know who I am. I know based on these things. This is just a way that I'm using for communication. I'd love to have a separate setting where it was a different format for the youth. Yeah? Perfect. So I have, a, I have an Excel spreadsheet of all of your social media interactions. And it... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you know. Uh, it pushes all of the problem uh, people up to the top. I just start calling. Uh, we have, and 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 looking for justice. Like, how can this? How can you let this happen? How can you let this go? Right. Uh, so it it, it has. Um, what, what, ah, I think it does have some effect on muting people and engaging. I do think it has that effect to mute people. And engaging in some way. And that has a negative effect on the church, which means we're supposed to engage in ways different from the rest of the world. Different. Where I can actually tell you what I'm struggling with, and you're going to let me <laughs> and pray for me. And you're going to be able to tell me what you're struggling with, and it's not going anywhere, except with me. Right? Or, or my session, who I trust, and we can pray together. And they know each other and can sit down and talk. So since then, well, since then, Nick and I have sat down and talked. <laughs> uh, I'll make a statement that's going to rub you the wrong way, and then I'll pray. Um, actually, I, I'm not going to pray. Um, I'm going to ask Scott to pray for us. But before he does that, um, I, I don't know how you think about these things and how broad you think Jesus' world can be underneath the gospel. Under the gospel, let me just go ahead and say that. Under the gospel, how broad his world can be. But what I heard recently that I think is a very good way to present it is that there are many on a different side of, of the debate that would say, most of the way I think about things is how to love my neighbor. And the folks on the other side of the debate are saying, this is, I really think about things, how do I love God? How do I love God? How do I love my neighbor? And sometimes those are opposed to each other. I'm going to love my neighbor in spite of love for God care about my neighbor in spite of love for God. Or, I'm going to love God in spite of my care for neighbor. And you know both of those are incorrect. You know both of those are wrong. But there's some broadness underneath there that we're going to have to be able to say, um, we can be brothers and sisters in Jesus and not necessarily agree on that one topic or that, that side issue, that tertiary thing, because we're going to have to do it. <laughs> um, we're, we, we are a... Uh, PCA Church, so we have some very in interesting and good distinctives, but there are some great gospel-centered churches all around here, and we're going we're to want to work together. I'm going to want to work together. 
with a bunch of those churches. And so are you. And we're not going to necessarily agree on every single thing. Um, that said, our last uh, topic on technology will be some family practices. What do, we, what do we do as a family to kind of protect each other and set some boundaries? And hopefully for the good of those who are growing up and those who are leading.